Are we recording? We are. Welcome to Pancom Podcast, starring Mike Beltran and and yes. Annie Meinhold from Fukia. Hey, Annie. What's up, Mike? How are you? I'm great. That's good. <laughs> Welcome to Pinecone Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. Yeah. A I think long it's, time. It's a very um, uh, getting you and I in a conversation together in front of a microphone, I think is going to be very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got pretty strong opinions. Opinions, yeah. People say that about us a lot. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. They do. But I think that's why we're friends. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I don't remember when it was that we met. I feel like we've known each other for a very years. long time already. Yeah. It's definitely been years. Yeah. Um, I know that I've been lucky enough to dine at your restaurant several times, and I've enjoyed them thoroughly. And I've, I mean, I don't frequent a lot of places, but I always do frequent your places. Yes. So thank you for that. It's good. So I know um, how much you hate introductions, but we should say yeah, what yeah. Those places we got to do are. the whole introduction thing, and that's the. This good. is uh, the, the the perpetual beginning of the podcast struggle where he tells me intros are stupid. It's like people people need to know. I mean, but since we're like the, our crowd in Salina, Kansas, that's the thing. The Salina to, audience, right, needs to know. We're big what's in going Salina. On. Yeah, we huge. Have, our biggest following is in Salina, Kansas. Per capita, really? per capita. Yeah, as a, as a percentage of the population of Salina, Kansas. Yes. Far and away. How do you spell Salina, Kansas? Is it like Salina? Salina, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's pronounced Salina? In Salina. In Salina. In Salina, it's pronounced Salina. I don't think anyone's ever talked about Salina, Kansas so much. We're putting them on the map. You keep talking about wanting to put the Miami food scene on the map. We have succeeded in putting Salina, Kansas on the map. Okay, Annie, introduce yourself. Yes. Tell Tell the people who you are, what you do, and where you do it. Wait, isn't that your job? No, but I'm not good at it. That's why Nick's here and you're here, so, you know. Uh, well, my name's uh, Annie Meinhold, and I have a restaurant called Fukia, and that's on 71st and Biscayne. It's a Vietnamese Cajun uh, restaurant. We do, like, our own fusion of modern Vietnamese cuisine. Um, it's basically putting myself and my partner and who we are on a plate, essentially is what it is. Um, in addition to Fukia, we've also got a place called FOMO, which is an over-the-counter pho shop over at Time Out Market. Um, and uh, I don't know. I've been around the scene for like the last 10, 15 years about that. So it's been a minute. We're both in the Time Out Market together. Yes, we are. We both have strong opinions about it, too. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Are those overlapping, or you have differing opinions? Well, I think um, I think there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Okay. Well, but um, yes and no because you built a concept for that place. Correct. I didn't really build a concept for it. It's just kind of like a baby version of it here yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, FOMO is something you envision as like a bigger thing, right? Correct. Tell us a little bit more about that. So FOMO is an over-the-counter um, pho shop. We specialize in fuzz, noodle bowls, and bao buns. And that's all we sell. There is a limit of uh, 8 to 10 items on the menu. And um, obviously because of the size of the market. But um, it's great for us because FOMO was always supposed to be um, something that we could scale. So the idea of going into timeout was about beta testing a concept for a year. And if we, they end up liking us and we like them and we end up extending, awesome. But um, we are beta testing a concept that we want to 
scale and expand. How do you feel about it so far? I mean, for the concept itself, I feel great. Actually, I'm really surprised by how well-received it is. Um, I never thought Miamians were so thirsty for soup in 100-degree weather. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'm shocked. Um, But, um, you know, it took us almost two years to get this pho recipe together. We... Um, we were testing it for a lunch concept at Fukia for almost a year before timeout was before timeout even opened its doors, first, yeah. um, and uh, we're we're pretty happy with it. So when I first met you was the federal, mm-hmm. um, but before the federal was Fukia, and then it was federal, and then it was Fukia again, right? You lost me. No, the pop up, then it was the federal. Correct. Right? Yes. Right. Yes. So. I believe... Uh, Did you how- go to the pop-up? No, I didn't. I didn't, okay. know, I didn't know you when the pop-up happened. Right. So we had um, our pop-up... But, sorry to cut you off. It was the first legit pop-up... It was. ...that Miami ever had. Yeah, it was the yeah. first restaurant pop-up. Like, in the model of, like, fashion pop-up shops where mm-hmm. you open up for a predetermined amount of time, it was the first pop-up in Miami as far as restaurants were concerned. Um, and it was open for three months from September of 2016 to December of 2016. Um, And in that time, we were building out um, the federal at that time. And Mm -hmm. so once the pop-up closed in December, um, we we signed a lease, I think it was the week of Thanksgiving, um, to open up the federal, started building out the federal, and then January 12th of 2017, federal was born. Mm -hmm. And that was there for what, three years? Five years. Five years. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, one of my favorite restaurants in those five years. I mean, I know a lot of people went for brunch, but dinner... And you had lunch for a short time, right? For a short time. It was something that we did towards the tail end, which was fine, but lunches, lunch in that neighborhood just never really worked so well. You had another concept in that time, too, no? Uh, we used lunch as a space to um, do pop-up concepts. Uh-huh. So we did, like, a healthy concept. We did a vegetarian concept. We did a Tex-Mex thing. So um, we use launch as a as a space to work on recipes, develop recipes, and and see what worked for the neighborhood. But the dinner was always our federal dinner, which is um, it was based on Third Coast cuisine, which is basically Texas and the Gulf. So it had um, a lot of elements of smoke, um, Cajun flavors, as well as uh, Mexican food. You started working on. Fuquia, like the actual restaurant, while the Federal was open, yeah? Mm-hmm. As and well. That was a long, I yeah. remember that being a longer that process was, than you wanted. That was about uh, a year longer than we wanted it to be. It took us about a year and a half to open. So, Fuquia, I, like, I, I mean, I know you very well, but the way I see it is like Fuquia is much more of a personal concept to you than, I'd say, the Federal? Um, yes. For sure. The Federal came to be um, because it was, we had a third partner, and that was a concept that we created for the three of us to live in harmony. You know, it was really about three kids, at the time kids, um, with different backgrounds growing up in the United States, and um, serving up food that was reminiscent to them growing up. You know, so whether it was a buffalo pig wing, or whether it was oh. a jar of duck, or whether whether it was a lamb burger, those were all dishes that, there were. those were all versions of dishes that we all grew up eating in some way, shape, and form. Mm-hmm. So that was what the federal was about. And then Fukia, because originally as the pop-up, it was modern Vietnamese, it served a void, but it was also like a dedication to my heritage. Um, 
Fukia, the restaurant, evolved from that modern Vietnamese to become Viet Cajun because after having a, a restaurant that specialized in third coast dining for five years, you don't just erase that from your history and be like, right. oh no, I never cooked I never cooked Cajun food, I never cooked American food, whatever. No. So we decided to put both Caesars and my backgrounds on that menu. And that's mm. where the Viet Cajun inspiration came from. Mm-hmm. So having Tell me a little bit about Fukia. I've been there several times, but I know like the art is, you had a specific artist work on a lot of the right. art that's everywhere. And it's, um, I mean, it's like very visually striking. Yeah. The entire restaurant from when you walk in. Mm-hmm. We actually had our company, like manager company bar. I don't know what you title that, but it was a big dinner. It's your company like, dinner. Yeah. Manager appreciation. Third, yeah. It was fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, we drank a lot and had a good time and. Um, food was incredible, but it was like that little room. And there's like two spots that are kind of like almost like little private rooms, yeah? Right. Which is the one that we were in and then kind of the one in the far corner that has right. a large table. Yeah. So what was the thought process in design? Because I know you like design a lot. So <laughs> I do. I love design. Anything that's like anything anything pretty. I love pretty. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the inspiration behind the design was definitely graffiti initially. So... Mm-hmm. Fukia was about growing up in the 90s in New York. So whether it was hip-hop, whether it was graffiti, whether it was food, whatever whatever that was, that's that's what we tried to do originally. So all, the, all of the graffiti that we have in the restaurant is done by Miguel Paredes, who is um, who started off as a graffiti artist, but mm-hmm. then um, now he's a little bit more of a bigger deal than that now. Um, and we play hip-hop. And so everything about... Lots of hip-hop. Lots of hip-hop. I love it. It's like my restaurant that has the best playlist. So everything is about it's it's a super sensory space. So everything from what you hear to to what you taste to what you see, it's all like it's like shiny balls everywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it appeals to every sense. Yeah. And I think that's important. So when um, from the pop up to now, how many years has it been? It was five years from day to day. Oh, we really? opened in oh, 2000. Opening. Yeah, we yeah. opened 2001 of uh, September 1st, um, 2016, and then we opened our doors here to th- uh, September 8th, 2000. Lies, lies, lies. September 1st, 2011. Right. Was the pop up, mm-hmm. and then we started friends and family on September 1st, 2016. So it's been eight years in total. It, yeah. It's pretty amazing, huh? Yeah. So three years in, how mm-hmm. does it feel? Um, it feels like we've actually finally got our stride. I mean, yeah. it doesn't make it any easier, but it's like we have very low staff turnover. Everyone that's there is vested in the space. Um, our cooks are amazing. Their family, our, our front of house staff is amazing. Their family too. It's like, you know, I, uh, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I get to be here on a Monday night and not have to worry about shit hitting the fan in my restaurant because I trust the people that are there. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a million times. Staffing people is like the, I think that is the cornerstone of a lot of business. But since ours is so, you know, personality oriented, I guess is a good mm-hmm. way to put it. It's it's huge. Like when you have those people that really believe in you and your concept and your company, it makes such a difference in like how they translate the concept, the food, drinks or whatever it is to the guest. Right. Tell me... How you feel about Miami dining? Where we're at now, where you were at 2011 to now. I mean, that's got to be a pretty intense 
journey, I would say. That was a really, that's, it's been a really intense journey. And then considering that in 2003, when I got into the independent, you know, food dining scene, I was at a molecular restaurant. So I went from like molecular fine dining gastronomy to... Which one was that? Mosaico. Ah. Yeah. Quite quite the journey. Yeah. So I started somewhere really, really different. I started my career in a very high-end, luxurious market. And now I'm a little bit more approachable. Um, So I've seen people's uh, dining habits for sure change over the last 15 years, Mm. 15 plus. 15 plus years. Yikes. Yeah. It's not, I mean, Yikes. It's, you know. Um, and, you know, it still doesn't get easier. Like, I feel that Miami's dining scene has changed. And then, of course, with the, the beauty of the internet, there's a lot of access everywhere. But I still am not, I'm not convinced that the market is necessarily seeing what we want them to see them, mm-hmm. what we want them to see, or they're not understanding what we want them to understand. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, everyone's got an opinion sure. like an asshole. So yep. you just got to live that way. And so it's our job as um, creatives and, you know, entrepreneurs to create something that works works for me and works for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, talking about like the guest and kind of what we want them to understand, I always relate it to time. Mm-hmm. You know, like people always say, well, Chicago and New York, like the dining scene is so progressive. Right. And the diner understands so much more. But I mean, the dining scene has been around so much longer. Right. You know, Miami, we're so young. I mean, even you say 15 years, you know, the chefs that were like doing their thing 15 years ago. I mean, there wasn't a lot. And now there's like quadruple the amount. And then, if not more. If not more. And then in the next 20 years, there'll be 10 times as many. And, you know, like so on and so forth. And the culture builds and it grows. It's just tough because we were in this um, really delicate time frame that it's, as business owners, we want everyone to get it. Mm-hmm. And we want everyone to understand how meaningful it all is to us. But, you know, I... I, I I can't, it's very hard to not get frustrated. It is, absolutely. You know, and and I think since we've had so many conversations not with microphones in front of us about it, that I've come to a better place to like be understanding, you know, Uh, but it's still hard. But I think, you know, the difference between Chicago, New York, Miami, and the people who live in those cities is for sure exposure, exposure Mm -hmm. to variety. Um, Call that some, I mean, we can call that some form of education of some sure. sort. So those, because there's so many other cultures and so many other cuisines and, and, and um, inhabitants in those cities, the, this, the people who live there are naturally exposed to more. Oh, yeah. In Miami, we have a very, when we have the United Nations of Latin America here. Oh, yeah. we, don't have, we don't have much of anything else. So the exposure is very limited. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel that because we already know that that's like a cultural thing, then, you know, it's our job to try to present something to them that we could be like, okay, we want you to understand our vision, but we're not going to scare you. I think, um, you know, I had this conversation with a good friend of ours, uh, Gio from Chat Chow, uh-huh. probably six months ago. And um, the the truth is, like, you don't need to leave Miami to get any kind of food anymore. 
Does it make sense? No. Like you can, there's a little bit of something here for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now it's not as like vast as New York and Chicago. For right. example, like, you know, like Korean barbecue, like there's not like 30 Korean barbecue places no, here. No, I you wish. Know, I wish, too. I wish. And I love Korean barbecue. Me too. Like New York, there's like, there's Korean little there's like, little Korea. My brother used to live on 18th Street. We, we don't right there. Yeah, we don't have that, but we have. You could start to see that people want to express their own culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that that's very indicative to the time that we're at. And I think people want to be more expressive with food. And I think the diner is becoming more. Um, I guess adventurous is a good word. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, I, I wonder, I mean... We, Whoa, Nick's yeah, here. Yeah, here, here Watch out. So, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit when we had a conversation in another episode about the pastelitos, right? And about people's hesitation and maybe even being scared of a pastelito that they haven't seen before, even though you've been seeing pastelitos at every gas station you ever pumped gas in before. Every culture has their own version of a pastelito or well, an empanada. No, what I mean is that we, the, the conversation we were having was about Cuban-Americans oh, okay. being wary of a peanut but- of peanut butter and a pastelito. Oh, yeah. Like, Which what is the fuck are you doing, right? And Which then, is genius. Exactly. So good. We have some It really here. is. So I, some in there. I wonder how much of that is, because, you know, we were talking, you were talking about the, the United Nations of Latin America, but within Latin America, we're talking about a hemisphere, right? right. Outside of the language, these are very yeah. disparate cultures. I wonder how much of that is more that Miami itself is so young because Cubans aren't alone in Miami yeah. in only being one generation removed, no right. matter who you are, from whoever in your family it was that that came to this country. And there's still this sort of like this sense of preserve, preserve, preserve throughout. Whereas in New York, since the Dutch were showing up, you know, however long ago that was, New York has always been very cosmopolitan, and so there's mm-hmm. this sort of long history of of absorption of other stuff that isn't your own. So my restaurant caters to the second generation of all of those people. Mm-hmm. So I have greater success with people who are between 25 and 45, and that's actually 80% of my demographic at my restaurant yep. than, I, than we do with the people who are 45 plus. The people who are 45 plus and they're first generations in Miami, in this country, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. everybody goes out to dinner and they want to check boxes. I right. want to spend $35 on a Tuesday night. I want to go eat Cuban and eat like, and have a, a pan con bistec. I want to go to, I want to go to Sushi Thai and I want to have like a, a summer, um, a California roll and she's going to have something else. I don't know what. Everyone, everyone goes out and they want to check a box. Some people are, more open to the experience and be like, oh, you know what? I want to go to Ariette because I heard that place is bomb. Oh, what's Ariette? Oh, it's like New American, but like it's got, it's New American, but it's deeply influenced by Cuban culture. The owner is, mm-hmm. is Cuban, blah, 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 blah. Or I want to go to Fukia. What's Fukia? It's not like the people that show up to Fukia because they want to have Vietnamese food, that's tough. That yeah. makes our sell so much harder. And that has a tendency to be someone that is older whereas if someone is you know between our our age range and their second generation and they're pretty much more american than anything else it's a lot easier for us sure. so that whole i mean i don't know that all makes sense with the first generation conversation with like well, a yeah, pastelito yeah. and then the second generation be like oh i'm chill with a with um a peanut butter and jelly pastelito right because there's because I, I think the farther you get removed from the the actual migration 
the less of an impulse there is to reject whatever threatens the thing you are trying right. to preserve. Well, I think I think we're still rejecting. Like, sure, sure, but less so than, yeah, than 20 years ago. For sure. Like, we're still... I don't want the peanut butter and jelly pastelito. I don't want Donato and my... You're going to have sandwich. Vigilia Mambisa steamrolling your pastelitos in the street. I know. Next to Versailles. <laughs> That's going to be crazy. Juana <laughs> CDs and... and all and the CDs pastelitos. and peanut butter and jelly pastelitos <laughs> and books. We don't want any of that shit here. Get out of here. No, I think it's... Um, it's an interesting conversation. I had that conversation with someone also recently, which is, you know, the new generation of like Cuban food. Like, where is that going? What does that mean? Who understands it? Will they be okay with it? And you know, uh, a lot of people very people are very much like, well, no, we don't want we don't right. want change. We don't want change. We don't want to change that. You know, like. We, what is the occasion? We right. don't want this change. Even though I, I feel like people would be more open to that than like changing their rice and beans because here, you know. No, 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 no. You don't have no idea what the amount of hate I get from my pho. Well, yeah, no, I'm well, talking uh, about uh, like uh, from Cubans. Like a Cuban goes there and they're going to be like, oh, this is cool. Like they're not going to give you grief because they don't know what pho is. Well, so we have the issue, both both our cuisines, whether it's like Cuban food or Vietnamese food, are cuisines that were born of poverty, yes. what was available, you mm-hmm. know? So people think that Asian food or Vietnamese food is always supposed to be cheap because that's what they're used to. Same thing with Cuban food. Oh, it's supposed to be cheap. What do you mean I have to pay $18 for, like, a Cuban sandwich? What do you mean I have to pay $39 for a pho? Well, the pho was made overnight. It's got a huge you know, smoked short rib, there's a process that goes behind it. There's time that goes behind it. There's hands, there's labor, there's everything else that we have to pay for. You can't possibly expect us to serve you a $10 pho every day of the week. Mm-hmm. How do you want well, us to pay our bills? But that's also um, comes with the time and like the understanding of cuisine and mm-hmm. like uh, the levels of cuisine and the, you know, and this is why I say it all the time. People, I mean, a lot of times people ask me why the short rib is so expensive here. And then I'm just like, well, I mean, it's, it takes nine days to make. You know what I mean? It takes forever. Yeah. And then, but at, those are the same people that are asking like, well, the short rib is undercooked because it's red. I'm like, no. No. It's not undercooked because no. it's red. It's got, there's a preservative in there. Your pastrami, it's not raw either. It's just red. <laughs> you know, like that's, it's a different ball game. We're talking about a different thing here. Right. You know? So... Those are like, um, and and it's it's hard to not be frustrated and to be patient with the whole process, but it's part of our, I think it's part of what we've accepted as our jobs, if you will. But it's good. We A, we have to accept being patient. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, you can't swim against that tide. That, that tide's going to swallow us if you try to swim against it. But B, like, we're also very fortunate because we get to be the ones that teach the city, oh, yeah. the difference between, you know, all of these different types of cuisine, what's good, what's bad, what's new, what's old, you know, we get to give them the comparisons between what was, what the original was versus what we're doing now. So I think that's a very, um, it's a great place to be. Well, that's it, a luxury. It's also talking about like that, the time frame that we're living in, mm-hmm. you know, we're, I think we're in such a special period of like Miami history, I think, because food is uh, like the culinary world 
is an everyday talked about thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like before, it was just like, you know, people just need food to survive. Now it's like they want to eat nice food. They want to learn more about food. They want to learn about, you know, this chef or that chef or this place or that concept. And they want to go try this out. Now, you know, we can all complain about the new fancy toy, which is, you know, a lot of people forget about the old standbys and just go with the new fancy toy mm -hmm. every week. And when you hit year three, four, and five, that's how we always feel. Um, you know, like we've been here for a long time. Don't forget us. I know there's a lot right. of new fancy toys in the city, but we're still here grinding it out. Yeah. Um, but I think we're, we're in that time frame. And I think it's very cool to see uh, the amount of, I don't know, love I feel like food gets now. You know, it before, does. Before, it, I, I don't think it got enough. And I think now it gets a lot, whether we think it's the right kind of love or not. Is it too much love? Yeah. I don't know. Some get too much love, but, you know, that's totally fine. It's a different podcast. You're setting them up for that. I mean, You're taking us down a dangerous road. This is, no, no, this not dating, at all. Right? What is, what is I have texts from her telling me about how she wanted all this, all these good vibes, and now she's trying to get some shit out of you. I'm, I'm no, all about good vibes here. No, not at all. No, we're... It's all about good vibes, not at all. Oh, you're not trying to get me. That's I understand where this is going. You're not trying what? to get me riled up about any kind of subjects that we disagree on. You do that to yourself. That's bro. also true. I have a lot I of don't, he was here. He was like, I turn that thing on. I need to do this. You yeah, I don't do any of that. I think Mike's really good at getting himself riled up. It's part of you know. We've been that's, friends for a long time, part, so you're okay with it. That is part of your charm. Yeah, I guess so. You know, so. And, and and yeah, we're friends because yeah. we're able to. Agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Respectfully agree to disagree. Sure. And we have we have a lot of the same opinions about a lot of things and, sure. and different opinions about others. Let's talk about more stuff. Let's get this going. I'll well, throw you something and then and then maybe we'll land yeah, on there. See, yeah, so, let's do that. Let's yeah. let's let's, let's, let's act do like that. we have a uh -huh. thing where we ask people questions. Right. So Ooh, I like this. <laughs> so um tell me about not just growing up in Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. but growing up in Puerto Rico with the German and Vietnamese heritage that you have? Because I imagine that that... It was amazing. I was Puerto Rican. Right, but... Like, like legit, legit, I was Puerto Rican. It didn't matter that I was half German and half Vietnamese. Sure. I was born there. I lived there until I was 14. There wasn't a day in my life And I'm not questioning your Boricodom. Oh, wait, wait, wait. This, this, but this is my point. Boricodom Nation. This is what. This Shout is out my to Jose Medin. So there wasn't a day in my life that I ever questioned yeah. being Puerto Rican. And then I moved to the States the first day after my 14th birthday. And we moved to Manhattan. And I ended, after, after we got there, I ended up going to some camp and some dipshit decides he's 13 years old, but he's reading the Wall Street Journal because he thinks mm. he's real smart, right? Yeah. He decides to ask me, how did I get to this country? Did I row? myself to this country i was like Oof. row those are the best you mean did i did i what what was i supposed to row in in a canoe no motherfucker i flew here yes like i looked at him i was like are you serious did you just ask me if i rode to the united states i flew here i also lived in a house with marble floors i didn't live in a hut you moron <laughs> you and your wall street journal reading ass like go fuck yourself you 13 year old and he was 13, reading a Wall Street <laughs> Journal. He should have been reading Archie's. What was wrong with him? We were at tennis camp. 
Tennis. You you play tennis? I did as a kid. As a kid, huh? Yeah. I could. That's you didn't one throw th- that in there. Like, not only was I not in a canoe, I played tennis. I played tennis. <laughs> I played tennis. So I, that was like I was tennis camp. Like, how did I? What is that? A uh, visual Gro- aid here. I know. She's doing. She some was live on tennis motions right now. It's live on. No, the that gram. wasn't. That was the rowing. Oh, that was sorry. The rowing. That I don't, was the. I rowing. don't do either. When of those I lived things, in Virginia, so. several times people asked me if I rowed here too. I couldn't believe it. Like he yeah. thought I lived in a hut. Yeah. Like all kinds. I was like. How, how much my favorite my favorite question is like how much cocaine do you guys really do? <laughs> like, do you have any on you to sell now? Fuck out of here, man! Right I'm like seventeen years old. <laughs> Fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> I have, I have <laughs> now we slang. Well, I did slang a lot of muffins in high school. That was oh. my thing: muffins and sandwiches. I've been selling God, sandwiches my whole life. So yeah, I never doubted my Puerto Ricanness until I came to this country, and then I started school, and some girl had like the audacity to be like, oh, you're not Latin. You're not Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. You're white. You see well, my mom? Yeah. <laughs> my mother is far from white. And both parents are immigrants too. Who cares if yeah. I'm white? But I'm not even talking about in Puerto Rico, was there some kind of a conflict? But just, I think a lot of people imagine life in Puerto Rico as being life in Puerto all Rico's- mofongo all the time or mm-hmm. something. But you had a not different experience. Juan. What's that? Not in San Juan. I'm not saying that that's yeah. what it is. I'm saying that that's, that that's what I imagine some people imagine it is, that they don't see it as, they don't see San Juan as right. being as cosmopolitan a city San as Juan it is. San Juan is super cosmopolitan. Like so I, what I'm curious yeah. about is, tell me about your experience of was, growing up in Puerto Rico with these other influences that not every Puerto Rican has in their home. I'm not saying, did anybody doubt your Puerto Ricanness, but just, <laughs> what, what was that Come like? Back, though, I'll tell you yeah, no, I, I'm just asking about, Jose like, would be proud, I'm just saying <laughs> He would be. I think that growing up in San Juan it was the most, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. As a kid, you've got, you're like by the water, rollerblading all the time. So whether I was playing tennis or dancing or playing volleyball, I was by the water all the yeah. time. Um, it was just very active and it was incredibly inclusive. I went to school with all kinds of kids. You know, I grew up speaking both English and Spanish. I mean, we spoke French at home and so I, I speak multiple languages, but, you know, it was it was a great childhood experience. It was different, I'm not going to lie, because my dad's in hospitality, so I grew up in a hospitality okay. environment. But I did what kids did. I yeah. was out until 10 o'clock at night playing volleyball, and then I would come home and, you know, either watch TV or finish my homework. It was It was pretty normal. And then it was because of your dad that you were in hospitality practically as soon as you landed in New York, no? Yeah. So talk about that and how, because we haven't really talked about what your role is in your businesses, hmm. what you actually do, which I think is a little different from some of the other people we've had on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I do everything that's not culinary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anything, even if it's like business or it's creative, I handle both sides. It's just not culinary. Um, <clears throat> so what um, my dad was in the hotel industry, is in the hotel industry. So um, I pretty much had my first job in a hotel when I was 11 years old. And um, I've been working ever since. When I got to New York, um, I started, there was a hotel strike. I started working at a hotel that, you know, my dad was running at the time. Um, It's just always been in me. Like, I was six years old learning how to set a table properly, you know? Like, fork on the left, knife on the right, line up the stem with the silverware, like, fold the napkin properly. I was soft-boiling eggs as a little kid. You know, like, there's pictures of me on a stool with an apron making scrambles. Like, that's just how I grew up. 
Yeah. And how much of are, – are there things that you do now in your work that you think, had I not grown up the way that I grew up, this would be a much bigger challenge? Because being every around day, that yeah, – Every yeah. day of my life. I am who I am today because yeah. of the way I grew up. Like – you come to my house, and I'm, like, the consummate hostess. You come to my restaurant, that's the role that I got really known for being. Like, I was a really great hostess. Whenever people come to my restaurant, they actually feel like someone gives a shit about them. And that's what makes me good at what I do. Yeah. And how, how much of that – so I guess I'm interested to know for you that you are uh, in these businesses partnered with mm-hmm. people who are on the culinary side – What's it like for you trying to get people who I imagine have food on the brain all the time to understand the priority that that needs to be, all this hospitality stuff? So, for example, I mean, in uh, my background is in cigars, or at least has been for the last six years. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes it's difficult for people who have that hospitality mindset on the retail or the lounge or the bar side to sort of get the people who are actually making the cigars to understand what it takes to get their work. To act. It, sometimes the people who are making the cigars sort of get frustrated when people aren't excited about it just because, oh, I, I did it, and here it is, wow, there's, right. there's the cigar. I imagine that that's, there's a little bit of, and maybe you can speak to some of this, Mike. There, for you, there must have been a little bit of a learning curve as well. You didn't come out of all your time in kitchens ready for everything that's involved in starting restaurants. I mean, I think that that's just part of, like, that, that developmental phase as professionals of understanding and respecting the boundaries of what everybody does. Because mm-hmm. who I am today is very different from who I was when I was 25 years old. You know, when I was 25 years old, I was like a bitch on wheels. You know, huh. People wanted to set me on fire, <laughs> all right. like all the time. You know, no, this my, is the bitch on wheels. So episode. my nickname was Federica. In this, so there was, I worked at Mosaico and I was a cook during the daytime and I was the assistant general manager on the floor at nighttime. And um, that time we were ironing our tablecloths, fine dining, clearing, oh. remarking, you know, five, seven course dinners, blah, 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 blah. And I was always the one that wanted to line up all the knives with all the glassware, make sure that every single line of every single yeah. table was symmetrical, blah, That's blah. What's up. I and love that. I walked around like a fucking cop. And obviously I'm half German, so my staff thought it was very funny that they would call me. Federica, after either some sort of soldier, That's Gestapo, mean. whatever. Mean. It's yeah. not nice, but I like I like your style. So, and I'm not like that today. I still appreciate it, but I also understand what I currently do for a living and what the expectations should be. Well, I think, kind of going off what Nick was saying, where I was five years ago to where I am now, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. So when you just come out the gate and you're a chef and you want to cook and you, I mean, you have blinders. It's all about the food, but like you learn to, you also, I think the best, the best of us understand that you learn to accept that it's not just about the food, it's about the experience. And the experience is a combination of what happens in the front with what happens in the back. And, you know, when the chefs are passionate about what they do and they convey that information and that knowledge to their staff, then, you know, it bleeds through. As a young chef, that's the hardest thing to learn. When you, well, I mean, you know, you have that experience that you either have to do it or you will fail. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about my journey in the last four years and like how tough that's been. But a lot of it has been coming to a place that 
I have to accept and understand a lot more than just food. You know, that 10 by 10 yeah. square that is the kitchen right. every night, which I love dearly, but and the, the difference is much more. Yeah, you know? but the difference also between your road and mine is that Caesar was always very fortunate to have someone that was just as passionate yeah. about culinary because I was in the kitchen before. And, you know, um, as far as the federal is concerned, I participated in most of the culinary creation with Caesar. People don't know that. I actually do participate in the culinary creation and, you know, I conceptualize dishes with him. Um, So he has a partner in someone like me that is able to communicate that information just as passionately to the front of house staff. Also in a way that is sellable because, you know... Just because you're passionate about something doesn't make it sellable. doesn't mean someone wants to eat it or drink it. I love Cas liver. I hate Cas liver. Love it. You can't sell me that shit at all. I don't know. I don't even care. We had a great Cas liver dish on our menu. If you made it for me, I still wouldn't eat it. No, I wouldn't eat it. Absolutely exceptional. I wouldn't eat it. If I had known, I would have said we should have some. I know. Wait, it's not on the menu anymore because me and only like four other people liked it. But I'll eat one of those like tongue wraps any day. Oh, that was long. I haven't. It's not on the menu. We have uh, beef tongue tartine now. But I you saw know, that. Yeah, it's it's a priceless advantage to have. I mean, just in the journey of Ariette over the last four years, getting someone on the other side to be able to understand the vision and be able to relay that to guests mm-hmm. has completely changed the experience. Yeah, and from the chef operator perspective too, is understanding it from a different vantage point than just working the saute station every night has been priceless also. Later that same evening. So it's like how you deal with adversity and the critical thinking of it just shows that you've been doing it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I really do feel that's like... That's actually my favorite part of what we do, actually. Not my favorite part at all, but that's why for me... You know, being an operator for a shorter amount of time than people like you or people like Michael, having those relationships in my life have been priceless because I can be like, well, what do you do when the world's burning? <laughs> How do you feel the when the, everything's on fire? The world's you, burning is big. That's a well, lot. But that's what, do like, you, wait, what, sat- do you, what do you do no, when the world's I know burning? The, world, the world's burning Saturday night, the walk-in breaks. Saturday night, the ice machine's broken. You know, like, that's the world breaking. Fr- perfect. Friday, Friday, we open in 30 minutes. We have 100-something on the books. Lights go out. World is burning. What happens next? You know, those are the kind of things that, for me... Oh, my God. Yeah, you know. Oh, my God. Oh, like, okay, everyone, it's all fun and games. It's fucking Monday, right? We're supposed to get a storm this weekend. Yep. What happens then? I can tell you what happened last time. This restaurant almost closed. I was fucking slanging Frida's in front of this restaurant for five days out of a food truck that a friend lent me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, the last time we were closed for 10 business days. We almost oh, closed, too, yeah. for Irma, because FPL couldn't get their shit together. Almost that was closed. Irma? The yeah. one that was like, uh, hit the keys? Yeah, yeah, that was Irma. We were closed for 10 business days. Wow. It's a long time. I yeah. Mean, and people were like, oh, we get a weekend. Bro, a week? A week? A weekend? Like, that's our whole life, that Yes, weekend. that weekend is everything. That weekend is 75% of our revenues. My that's, favorite? That's how we pay your checks. My, fa- my favorite was my favorite. You know, I never. It I told you. I have very strong opinions. Do it. Opinions. <laughs> it's coming out. That. Yeah. We're that. getting them all riled up. Listen, 
I read a review. I never read reviews. And this is why I don't read them. <laughs> I re- this is, I don't read them. How did, I, you, how did you get this review that I'm because sure it, you Because I happened to sit down in the, the computer in the office, okay. and my manager was reading this review. Mm. So I sat down to go check something, and it popped up. And I'm like, okay. It's, it got, a ter- it's got a terrible rating. So let me okay. read it. So I read it. And, you know, the other stuff, the guy was just, you know, he's kind of a fucking asshole. But the one that stood out the most was, yeah, and they were like, and they were like painting the wall. And, you know, they didn't close. And I just think that when the restaurant's like doing work, they should just close, you know? I just, I, I don't think it's right. Oh, is that what we should do? You know what, man? You're fucking right. We should just close for the other hundred people that came that night. And you know what? Fuck it. We won't pay anyone that day either. You're right, bro. I'm sorry. Let me text you back. You're right. Here's your money back. Fuck you, man. That's not how this shit works. Bro, he doesn't think it's right. Nah, that's it. Does You know, it's not right. They were doing work. I would much rather if the restaurant closed while they were doing work. And it was like patchwork. It's like, I, me, and I'm, I'm a little crazy about things like that. I could barely notice. But the guy was there. And those are like those judgmental diners that give diners a bad name sometimes. Yeah, but, but anyone that goes on Yelp and reads a review like that, they are able to sift through the bullshit. I mean, something that's as extra as that. Let me explain. Something. I've Listen, said this. I think you and I. I want to voice an opinion. Yes. About this. So, <laughs> why I also am a partner at Taurus, right? Taurus neighborhood bars been around a million years. You know, we're not reinventing fucking wheels in that place. It's just solid. It's kind of like Cheers. Yeah. I always look at Taurus like Cheers. Good time. Petey likes it. Petey likes, you know, it's good. <laughs> so he hangs some, out there all the time. So some young, so some. I think Nick likes it. I Nick, think Petey's human likes it. Yeah, well, that's fine. The human so likes it. I go from Kendall to the Grove because he can come. Ah. Yeah. That, that's Beat the it. only reason I go to Taurus. Beat it. That's because in Kendall, they don't like dogs. That's you heard it here first. They don't. They don't like dogs in Kendall. Yeah. We let dogs at Fukia, too. <laughs> Beat it. Now you know. Yeah, no, we have people this that come. This is a dog-friendly episode. Absolutely. Petey, we, you we are let, the mascot we, of this we, whole. We let dogs at Fukia, too, because they're, for the most part, very well-behaved. I've never That's had. That's not totally true. I had a dog shit right in the middle of Chugs. Like, oh, <laughs> I've never had that stops issue. And, just like, and then the owner was like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's a dog, bro. What do you want? He's going to shit places. You know, a dog shit in the there. middle of the floor, they really should have closed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wait, wait. It's not so right. This, so these, so there's these three, like twenty-two-year-old kids at Taurus, right? I love it how twenty-two is still being a child now. No, nah. it wasn't when I was when I was twenty-two. I wasn't a child. Well, this twenty-two-year-old, these twenty-two-year-olds were fucking children. So, anyways, okay. what do they do? They're getting there. They're rolling up a little joint, right? That's marijuana for everyone. That's, <laughs> for the people in Salina, they're rolling up a joint, a nice one, you know. That's cool. I got nothing against it, but not in my bar. I'm sorry. So what happens? One of the people that works there says, hey, man, you need to get out of here. Can't smoke that here. What do you mean I can't smoke that here? Oh, my bad. It's against the law. Who would have thought? You can't smoke that here. And then they started putting up a stink. What do you mean I can't smoke it here? Get the fuck out, man. <laughs> so then we told him to get the fuck out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So shockingly. Did you get a one-star review on Yelp no, because we of got it? four. Back to back to back to back. One star and they fake all reviews. Named out the same server. So me, I didn't know about this till like a couple days later. Yeah. Because obviously somebody was like, "Hey, uh, uh, excuse me, um, chef, uh, do you have a moment?" 
And it's just like, that's like when I know that they're loading up to tell me something that I'm going to fucking get pissed about. So we uh, we received a couple of Yelp reviews that were <laughs> negative towards uh, one of our employees. I'm like, so what was the star rating? One star. Okay. How many? Four. What do you mean four? Four. In a row? In a row. What the fuck do you mean we got four one-star <laughs> reviews in a row? So then I go and I read them, and I'm like, and I, you know, the guy's a nice guy. He's a little aloof sometimes. Good guy. Not an asshole, you know? He's not a one-star guy. Depends on the it's, day. But, I'm you know, sure. I don't think he's, I'm just kidding. I've he's got, not a one-star guy. I've gotten one-star reviews. I was once like the gatekeeper of, uh, the gatekeeper of hell. But I'm saying not because you were a one-star person. But that's because you told someone how it was. So yeah. I go and I say, I, I look at people and I'm like, we need to address this because I'm fucking pissed. We're going to fire this guy. He's not doing his job right, blah, blah. So then we got a whole like breakdown of the story. And these three 22-year-old fucks that were mad because... And then the best part of it all, the next week, they come back. Shut up. Wow. They come back. Shut up. Did anybody they respond to them on Yelp in between? They, in the yeah, intervening? I, believe, I believe so. It wasn't what? me. We don't want me responding to people on anything. Did they get Wait, exited on the spot? Of course they did. So then they're like, can I get, get a beer? Get the fuck and, out of here. And the guy behind the bar, you know, I'm not going to name any names, he goes, no, you can't get a beer. Get the fuck out of here. We know what you did. Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm going to call my blogger friends. Oof. And then, and then, like, all my staff knows how I feel about that. And they turn around and said, call your fucking friends, bro. <laughs> <laughs> call, your, call your blogger friends, bro. My boss has a podcast. <laughs> you know, and it's like this very, like, weird... Back and forth, and he's like, "Come at me, bro." <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine like what sort of person you have to be, and what has to be going through your head for it to go from your brain to your mouth. The I'm gonna call my blogger. Friends. I'm gonna call my blogger friends. What my friends are influencers. I'm sorry. I'm gonna but call a herald. Let's rewind for a second yeah. and say. I was rolling a joint at your bar in no, public. Right. It's okay. First of all, I was breaking the law at your restaurant. Right. But I'm going to call my blogger yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, call them. I'm going to call, call my blogger friends, call please. Let's collaborate. I, yeah. Let's oh, collaborate. Let's collaborate. Hashtag. That word. What, word. collaborate? Word. No, it's just like, I, I want it like that whole like Yelp. Th- and listen, but, uh, but, but wait, I, hold. Okay. Like not everything about that whole institution is wrong. No. It's like. There's things that are wrong with everything. The problem is we're giving a platform to people like those 22-year-old fucks that can essentially fuck up someone's entire livelihood. And then you know what Yelp tells me when I tell them what happened? Sorry, bro. Nothing can't, I can do about it. We can't help you. Sorry. We can't help you. Okay. So And then my response to them is like, me. then, 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 then. In response, I just, <laughs> I can't. This whole thing to me, it just like, I, it just flabbergasts me because the response... They're, they were like, well, these people have no followers and haven't given any other reviews. And I'm like, so take the review down. They were breaking the law in my bar and they refuse to, like, I don't know, admit they were breaking the fucking law. And all they're trying to do is hurt the people that, that were doing there? the right thing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Taurus is like, cheers. Yelp reviews, I mean, the guys at Cheers, I don't think they're really looking at Yelp first. They're just going there to have a good beer, have a good time, watch a little sports. But 
that's like that's people like those are people that inherently think like oh no you just make sandwiches you just serve beer ah, whatever that's the culture we're trying to break yeah that's what we're dealing with and at the same time we're giving them platforms to one tomorrow be like i really like food i want to start a blog let's collaborate <laughs> but I, I, so okay so i, I, think, I think that yelp and the blogs and the influencers extreme. are they're separate issues no because on Yelp, they feed each other. They, that's fine, but everything feed, feed like nothing other. exists in a vacuum. It's, it's, nothing exists in a vacuum. They're all pieces. They're all pieces of a strategy. So you've got media, you've got bloggers, you've got influencers. Here it comes. And you have the good ones and the bad ones in all of them. Yes, you know? sure. And I absolutely detest the word collaborate. I'm with Mike on this one. Sure, collaborate. Um, collaborate my ass. Give me shit that's for not, free. That's not that's not what we're doing here. But I do think that they all fall. They all have they all have a time and a place, and they all have a purpose. the The whole collaboration thing, especially when like you're a super noob. Listen, there are people who have invested time and money into their feeds. Noob means new person. <laughs> Just making sure <laughs> a newbie, newbie, because there's a lot of like slang nowadays. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Go on, sorry. Just want to throw it out there. There are a lot of people that invested a lot of money onto yep. those feeds in order to get them to where they are before before going to places and be like, let's collaborate. Actually, it was the job of either the publicist or the restaurateur to go to them and be like, hey, I kind of like what you're doing. You want to like do something? It's fine. Sure. But then now you've got people that come out of the woodwork and they're like, oh, I just like started this page, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And you're like, I've got all of 819 followers. <laughs> you know, let's nice. collaborate. Yeah. I'm like, look, if we're going oh, to, no. we're not talking about collaboration. This is not a collaboration. This is an exchange of products. This is a transaction. Mm-hmm. Let's call it what it is. It's a transaction. You're so bartering, basically. You're bartering. So you have to have something to give back in order for us to give you something in return. Right. You know? Um, and that could be anything. That could be an actual good, an actual service, an actual product. It could be a relationship, whatever it is. But it is a transaction. So yeah, people got to be that, the same value. Yeah, there has to. Yeah, we we all have to win how, coming out of this. How can we dictate an ROI on anything that they do? We can't. No, but that's. Not, I don't think that's. No, true. you can't. How? I mean, I think it's true. Like for me, return on investment is I want to see dollars in return. That's yeah. That is what it is. But I, I think I, I think there think are ways to do that. I think there are ways to do that. I just think that it's it's a matter of it's all part of the strategy. It's all part of a strategy. I think that I think what I appreciate so much about Instagram is that it's the only platform that I've experienced where people, you know, whether whether you're doing it in the now or you're scheduling it, people actually feel like they know. Where you are, what you're doing, how you feel, what you look like, what you're putting, what you're tasting, what you're putting in your mouth, what you're drinking. People actually see what you're feeling. So it's like instant. It's instant. That way people are able to, and that reaches whoever is following them, you know. Um, And I think that's the magical part about Instagram. Now it's up to us to partner with the right people. And I think there's also a there's a supply and, and demand thing here at play that and I'm from outside of mm-hmm. the food world, right? But just in what little exposure I've had primarily from hearing his rants and then Sorry. other people sort of responding to them, uh, I wonder how much can be done for your side, right? The hospitality or the restaurant side to say, listen, if we're gonna do this, it's not just a matter of like, yes, no, I like what you're offering. 
putting it out there somehow that listen, if for you this do. to be worth it to me, like, but you put, do. It, put this in place. Go. I'm saying no to you now. Go home. I, put together some kind of mechanism yes, of me measuring, I, and then come back to me. I think. But that's that the thing. We'll, it's up to us to create those parameters. Totally. You, yes. you see here. That's up to us totally. to create the parameters. Here's inherently the problem. You're dealing with two people that won't just like they don't look at the smoke and mirrors no. of the situation and be like, oh my god. They're going to show us love. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. You know, you're looking at, like, a very, a person that's a very matter-of-fact and any. The same thing with me. Like, yeah. okay, so this is what I, this is what I'm getting. Or, no, this is what I'm giving. What am I getting? And how? what's the value of each? Right? The problem is, is that there's a lot of newer people out there that don't have that kind of savvy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, it's not because, and it's not an indictment on them. They're new. So they're just like, oh, my God. People want to love me. I want to be loved. Please love me. You know, it's part of like the whole fucking thing, right? It's part of the... You make them sound like a dog. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> I, it, but, you know, like... Okay, Please, look, some, love me. Listen, love me. Rescue listen, me. Fulana in Doral has like empanadas that are amazing, you know? And she's worked her entire life mm-hmm. to make those empanadas amazing. She wants someone to notice. So Fulano, which has, you know, he bought... 20,000 followers for 20 bucks off some bots in Russia goes and tells her, hey, let's collaborate. She doesn't know any better. She doesn't know any better. She's going to fall for it. So people could tell me I'm like blue in the face talking about this, but I'm very sorry that that person in Doral listens to this. They're going to be like, wow, maybe I should approach this differently. That's my only purpose. But but I think the approach this differently isn't necessarily just the black and white of maybe I should just set all this aside as not having any value at all. I, maybe but maybe the don't... answer is something like, okay, you want to collaborate in Dragomilla? Then instead of you just taking a picture and me giving you free shit and us going our separate ways, know that this is not going to happen again unless X number of people walk through my door telling me that they came here because of this collaboration. And then there's a certain... That's like a very loose, loosey-goosey sort of like way of, of getting that feedback loop. But unless there's that feedback loop, like in any industry... You're not going to have, there, there's no incentive and there's no, plus a lot of these people come into this without any kind of marketing background, without any journalism right. background, without any That's photography background. That's why you have background. to pick and choose who you choose to partner with. I mean, you have to be very selective about it. I do a lot of work with influencers. Mm-hmm. I do. She I, does. I, I believe, I believe in, in the influencer platform. Someone's got to. I believe in um, also nurturing a relationship in that way as well that's that's what i'm good at i so like talk about how you measure that with people. about how you measure the value because this is something that's valuable even outside of food right i mean it is yeah. absolutely um but it's, it's like i said like it's instagram is the platform where people get to see what you're doing they're they're they are seeing the outcome mm-hmm. that's the result of your product so essentially what they're doing out there they are we are here to sell a product. Influencers, what they do is they actually show you the outcome of that product. And nine times out of ten, if I told you to come to my restaurant and eat pho, eat pho, eat pho, eat pho, you're not going to come to my restaurant because I'm selling you pho. You're going to come to my restaurant because Mike told you that the pho was good. Right. That's the outcome of me selling my product. And so Instagram does that for me. And using influencers so- to launch a product, launch an initiative, tell people what we're doing, um, they're telling them that's the outcome of, of what my product does to them, which I think is valuable. How do you feel about you're going through an Instagram story and then it's 
this whole experience and here's Annie and then here's Nick and they're eating pho and this is amazing. And then the next is Carabas. Or the next is Jello. I don't judge that. I but I, I think that it I it, don't judge I, that because I really think that it tarnishes a brand. There are days well, I mean those are pretty extreme, but there are days that like if if I want to go out for dinner and have a great experience and I want to go to Ariette and I'm going to blow my wad and that's what I'm going to do. But when I got out of bed this morning, I was wearing shorts. I went to go get some acupuncture done on my feet and then I went to some place and I had a lunch special and it was $10.48. Are mm-hmm. you going to judge me differently because I choose to eat one way at one time of the day versus another way another time of the week? That, uh, to me, that those examples aren't the same. You're, you're, you're not getting paid to go have that $10 meal. No, but you're, you're they're, th- they're getting paid to promote a, a sub, like a product that we right. are trying to change the perception of because we are trying to change the perception on good Again, food. And it's up to us to choose who we want to partner with. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's true, but. At the end of the day. It, if we choose, let's say we choose right, mm-hmm. we're choosing right. Their entire model is built off of money. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, I'd say maybe there's four that aren't totally built off of right. money. That there's like four, maybe five, in all of Miami that are built on actual support. And yeah, they make money too. So their entire model is built off money. You've picked the, the horse that you believe is the right one. And then tomorrow comes Applebee's. And says, I'm going to give you 10 grand if you post about me every day. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, sure, bro. So we we think we picked the right one, but their model is totally built off of money. Their model isn't built off of passion or like how much that you woke up at four in the morning to make sure you got to the gym before you went to go work and start a fub that needs to be on for 18 hours. That's not their model. They don't care about that. They care about the fact that this is cool and they're going to generate revenue off of what is cool. Not because, and it could have sprinkles on it, and it could be from Starbucks, and it could be six different colors. That's all I'm saying. Like, it, I understand what, what you're saying. You know what I mean? But my thought process is if their entire model is built off of money, then I want to see my return. Like right. some, some asshole, they, I don't, a lot of people don't listen to the podcast, sadly. But... Some guy they will. Yeah, they will. Some guy messaged Chugs and you know, I played a game with him. And I'm like, Oh yeah, man, I would love to work with you. Can you show me like your metrics? Can you show me uh this, that, and the next? Can you show me the return on investment? Can you show me who else you worked with? And blah blah. You know, show me your engagement percentages or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I got in return? Fucking crickets. <laughs> that's what I got in return. But Correct. but that, but I think that that's the answer. Right? You're saying that you were fucking with him. I was. But what if you were serious? No, but because no, I mean, aren't those but, really but, the questions? But you, you should do that. I came back. You have to do that. You're doing it fucking with them, but that's 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 how that guy, if he's at all serious, is going to turn around and say, "Oh, you know what? Maybe before I go to anybody else, I should have that." There was and that's some, how the whole ecosystem. There gets was better. some girl that hit us up for this weekend. I don't remember what her handle was, but in her bio, you don't remember? You sure you don't want to tell me? I really don't remember her handle, but in her bio it said that she worked for JBF. But then, what did Caesar do? Was JBF? Oh yeah. Sorry. So, My bad. <laughs> <laughs> that metal you so deeply seek. Yeah. Um, and when we went into the followers and we, when we investigated who she was, we didn't ask her for 
for her insights and all that stuff, her stats. Um, but we looked at who followed her, mm-hmm. actually. And we looked for what verified chefs out of New York followed her and who were, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. We looked at how many likes she how many likes she got for picture, all of the interactions, um, and uh, where her followers were from. And we decided that that was not the right collaboration for us. Mm-hmm. And actually, nine times out of ten, we work with influencers that have a, have a much more specific reach as opposed to catching the really big fish for the reason because we know that they're doing it honestly Mm -hmm. they're they actually care about what their followers say they're growing a community um and they're not out posting pictures of dinner at mandolin next to you know something else being filmed from some podunk brand with Mm -hmm. like colored cereal well i mean it's always good to see like when you have uh the ones that have like Seventy thousand followers, and then they have like forty likes. Those yeah, are that's like, fake. Those are my favorite that's ones. That's fake. Those exactly. are the favorite ones. They have like forty likes, and they're all like stage photos. But then and again, then, like, you, why get so upset? Why why get upset about? I'm not upset. Who's upset about this whole <laughs> this whole situation when get, when it's like it's it's like everything. Competition is competition. There are better influencers. There are worse influencers. Yeah, it's like well, everything. There are better blogs. There are worse blogs. There are better, better restaurants and, and worse there, restaurants. You know, there's there's better food Correct. writers and there's shitty food writers. Like it's across the board. You know, it, again, it's just up to the individual establishment to decide what's the what's the right fit for them and how can we work together so that everybody wins. Yeah, I mean, and I like, think, but, but part of me getting upset is me working together with people like us, so not, not, so the people that don't know or aren't looking for the things that we're looking for start to learn what to look for because a lot of people don't know. No. They don't know. They don't. And that that's the sad reality. Like, that is a sad reality that social media has created for so many is that it's all smoke and mirrors. And there's some that have, like, for example... You could have 5,000 followers, but, but you're getting 1,200 likes per... Then you have, like, everything. an amazing engagement. Experience dictates all of that. Yeah, but that is but that is why I get so upset, because I'm tired of people trying to take advantage of others in our community. The, the thing that comes to my mind whenever all this comes up is the transparency issue, right? Because even if somebody is effective, how much of an issue is it, or should it be, that the end consumer of that influence... Uh, is not being told up front. There was a transaction that led to this being. They should all say ad. So I said earlier that it's a transaction and it's also a way to nurture a relationship. Mm-hmm. So depending on who you are, I mean, that is a way to have a relationship with someone. It doesn't necessarily have to be an ad. We're not, you know, we're not putting a gun to anyone's head and being like, you need to post this. You oh, know? no, of course not. not. I'm, know, s- I'm not, saying when there is an explicit, happening. when there is an explicit deal made, like, hey, uh, somebody gets in touch with you. Let's collaborate. Okay, I'll give you a burger or fifty bucks or a thousand bucks, and then I'm in your story and your Instagram feed or whatever. Uh, usually, how they uh, how these have come across me less sure, and less. Yeah. But hi there, we came across your feed. We love your pictures. We would really love to collaborate. Mm-hmm. In exchange for a free meal, we will post three times on our story right. and one picture. Yeah. So in that case... Thanks so much. Can't wait to hear from you. Love, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a thing that I would never do. Right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean... Well, people you're, do. You know, people do. Right. And, that's, and that's the thing. I think that's a thing that, but to me, I think is more important to, to Again, call you go... You pick who you want to work with. Right. 
You pick who you want to work with. You pick the people who have your best interests in mind, the people who look out for you, the people that have that you've known for two, three, five, ten years. You know, it's those people that approach you in that fashion that, you know, it's our job to do our due, to do our due diligence totally. and say, hey, send me your stats, send me your insights. But I think that's, we look we look into your followers. Yeah. We look and see who's verified and following you. We look and see where your followers are from, what the demographic is. Right. We at that point, we need to evaluate if you're the right fit for us. Yeah. But to, to Mike's point about Fulana and Doral who makes great empanadas and Which who, I'm sure her empanadas they're in bingo. The empanadas are great, you know. And so she <laughs> she may send twenty empanadas to Fulano in wherever he is with his camera. Not realizing that all the likes and all the even if they're org, even if they are organic that they all resulted from inorganic relationships, mm-hmm. right? And from relationships where that consumer isn't being told up front, hey, this is why this thing is being put in front of you, which I think is an issue because that mm-hmm. ends up hurting the consumer. It ends up hurting it ends up hurting everybody but the person who's getting all this free shit. I think right. the, the tr- still the truest way, like to get real eyes on your concept and whatever is still getting in the paper i still think it's real i still think radio is real i still think like the old school ideas of getting your thing across is still the best but the paper is real not because it's the paper it's because there's an institutional standard of those ethics that doesn't exist outside of there correct and i think the consumers and people in your position need to treat with a phone who wants to take a picture of the free burger hold them to the same ethical standard as you would you also have anybody to, at the but you also have to see who your target market is my target market is different from Ariette's yeah but I mean like you're, our like our clientele is honestly like 80% of my clientele based on like my stats based on insights from Instagram Facebook um, my email database 80% of my clientele is between 25 and 45 years old. So institutions like the paper, they don't read the paper. Yeah, they I mean, read, you know, publication.com. You you would see the same thing out of like a place like Chugs. And when Chugs was in the paper, it got the most burn I've ever seen. And like that's not really the clientele that's paper driven, I guess. I mean... I still, I still find it uh, to be the most effective way to get across. I don't know why. I know that we have like a great Instagram post that has like a bunch of likes, and then it, it, you know someone else picks it up and reposts it or whatever. It doesn't have the same reaction as when we're in the paper. Mm-hmm. I just because that direct like that you directly see it translate to sales. Like right. I've directly seen that. You know, like we Chugs did that thing with Lisa Petrillo. I forget what it's called, but it was great. I mean, Taste of the Town. Yeah, that. But Lisa's amazing. And she's been on TV for a long time. And it's actually one of the very few TV shows that, like, literally translates to asses and seats. People watch Taste of the Town every single week. Same thing, but it was the same thing when Chugs was on the Cuban American thing. uh, And, you know, when the diner got a spot in the front page of the whatever. That weekend, we saw, like, I mean, it was the biggest sales we've ever had. Mm-hmm. I've, and I would never think that Chugs, that concept, would relate to people who read the paper. But they you may know? also have seen the paper's content on thepaper.com or but on the their pa- Instagram the paper, or on Facebook. The paper.com, like the paper Instagram and stuff, doesn't right. have, it's not, I mean, Miami.com's following on 
social media isn't gigantic. Mm -hmm. You know, not like Mm -hmm. I would say the Miami Herald, like the actual physical paper. Right. So I don't know. It's a very interesting – it's like PR. Like you never really know what's happening. Right. It's like this like – and Larry, I love you. Don't – Larry, I love you too. Yeah, we all – Big dog, we love you. We all love you. But we don't like – you never really know what's happening. It's like this thing. It's like the Matrix. Yeah. We don't know what's happening. It's on the other side. We don't we don't know what they're doing, but it's working. And very rarely do you come across PR people like a Larry Carino. You know what I mean? True. There's like those like there's like the top like three or four. And it's the same thing with like the influencer types. There's like the three or four that are both good people and that get good traction mm-hmm. and that cause traffic. There's those two. But I can tell you that not a day goes by where you come to my restaurant and you ask someone how they heard about us every single day, Instagram. Yeah. Every single day. We aren't that. Every single day. So for me, like I dedicate a lot of time and attention and resources to Instagram because it's very – it's easy for me to be like, oh, come and eat Vietnamese food. Great, 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 great. But like people are not going to come in because of the Vietnamese food. People are going to come in because someone told them or someone saw the way that our Vietnamese affected them. But I also think saying Instagram and saying influencers is different because you drive your Instagram. Yes. You know, like I, I mean, I, I think that we do a pretty solid job, you know, and up until like four months ago, I drove all of our Instagrams and, you know, we do a pretty good job engagement, all that stuff. But dealing with Instagram and saying using it as a tool, which it is, Mm -hmm. is much different than using an influencer as a tool, I think. Uh, They're they're part. They're part. They're one and the same. Why are they one and the same? Because that's a person that's driving their own account. That's really all all they're doing is using your credibility and your content to build their own. We're doing that mutually. I don't, I mean, I, I don't see that. I think that like, what is their skill set exactly? It depends. I mean, I don't think you can say that they all have the same skill set. Yeah. And I what, think, what is an influencer's skill set? But, but the thing depends, is, it depends it on the, depends, If I depends. became an influencer tomorrow, I'd have skills coming out of my ass because I've been in media for however long. But you're also Nick. But that, but I'm saying that I'm not the only person who can take a good. But it, it's just a matter of it, it's different. They're all different people. I don't. Think I just, yeah. I just like at, there's journalists. There are journalists who do garbage work Absolutely. at decent newspapers. There are people out there in actual newsrooms or actual TV affiliates who do shit work. Yep. And the fact that they're not that they have a business card doesn't mean that they're good at what they do. Sure. Just like if somebody has an Instagram account, doesn't mean that there's no value to what they're bringing. And it is just like it's very similar to PR in a sense. They're getting the word out there for you. Now, is it is it the same as getting, you know, a story, a full-page story in, in the Herald on Thursdays in the life section? No, it's not the same. It's definitely not the same. But, again, it's part of a strategy. It's not the only strategy. It's just part of it. And you're more in control of that than anybody else's. I do agree with you, Mike, though, that there, there's – I think that there's a difference, right? There is a the, difference. Between what you do on Instagram and the gen, the organic word of mouth that that might generate. Sure. And, yeah, like engaging – right. Like engaging your following. of word of mouth. For sure. A ton. And it is a different thing. It, again, nothing exists in a vacuum. No. But they're two different things. Engaging the the masses or the audience that engages you on Instagram is really what makes the difference. I think, you know, I just look at someone like – Annie, that has, this is a skill set. This is what they're doing. They're running mm-hmm. and they're operating a business. 
you know, and Instagram has become part of that business now. It's like now it's part of our business model. Like, you know, like, you I don't know what just happened here, but all of a sudden I've got like all these new followers. Oh, that's, that's Petey. That's definitely Petey. That's Petey. Yeah. That's definitely Petey. Amazing. Sure. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> we just hashtag influenced. That's really what it was. Actually, I think it was my Instagram life. That's what it was. Probably. The seven people that watched, that's what it was. <laughs> I'm going to start telling people to come to area and say Petey the Dog Center. Oh, my God. <laughs> you should have a cocktail called Petey the Dog. You get a free cocktail. You get a free cocktail. Oh, oh yeah. Petey the Dog Say, I love Petey the Dog. You get a free refill of Coke, yeah. just like at our betters with, uh, with the ice. I love Larry Bird. Well, I mean, you want, you, want, you want to dive into anything else? Shameless plugs, things you have coming up, stuff that uh, Annie really wants to, it's really grinding your gears. We turn three Ooh. in about a week. That's incredible. That's like yes. a big, that's a big deal. That's three years huge. Old. We're three. We turned three. Um, and we're doing, we're doing seven days of Fukia. So happy fucking birthday, Fukia. Um, nice. I'm so excited about that because we're doing from the first to the eighth. Every single day is going to be something different. And the reason why it's that is because we opened the first at the pop-up. And then when we opened the brick and mortar, we opened on the eighth to the public. But we started friends and family on the first. So it was five, five years um, from one to the other. It's been such a long time in the making. And then now, finally, there's no insane tragedy that we have to overcome or some business closure because of Irma. We were never able to celebrate the birthdays before because of one reason or another. So this time around, we are, you know, going all in. I like, I like going all in. So I'm excited. Cool. Uh, do all the shameless plugging. Where do people follow you? Yeah, and all, the follow things? all your handles. Yes. We're talking about Instagram handles. Yeah. Tell them your hands. Let's influence people. Let's, influ- let's influence just, people right we're now. We're going to call this the influencer segment of the oh show. Oh, my God. Plug it. Just go. Plug it's away. So, you're so dramatic. It's so How? not like why, that. Why are we? I'm not being dramatic. I'm being myself. <laughs> Hashtag quite, dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> so so you can secrets. follow us at Fukia, and that's at P-H-U-C-Y-E-A. Um, on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Fuchia, P-H-U-C-Y-E-A. And I'm personally on Ani underscore M. So that's A-N-I underscore E-M-M-M-M-M-M. So it's like five M's afterwards. Um, I know. All right. Um, and, I mean... I don't I'm have any say, shameless plugs. I'm like not really good at that. The but, shameless plug stuff? Yeah. You know what I want to start doing? Uh, maybe after we've done the plugging stuff. And if you're not ready for this, because I know I'm springing this on you. Oh, boy. We do this on the Cigar Snob podcast. We always end with a recommendation. It yeah, could be was, anything. It could be a thing, a thing you read, that. a thing you watched, a thing you ate. Like what did you consume recently that you want to tell people, hey, this is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Like, define, con- like, any kind of consumption? Anything. I joined yeah. the gym that's great. Yeah. Uh, I watched a good. movie I liked. I read an article. Whatever. I uh, I just recently went back to one of my childhood favorite places, Disco Fish. What is that? Exactly. Oh, Disco Fish. Disco Fish is Miami legendary. And it was a great meal. I enjoyed my time very thoroughly. That's what is one. it? It's just a seafood restaurant. Just like, really. Like, but there's a mural of fish doing disco dancing. Yeah. And then what? there's, like, velvet chairs. And it's, like... <laughs> It's engraved disco fish on the back, which yeah. I found amazing. Um, if they ever tear that place down, I hope that wall ends up like in a museum. Just stays there. Yeah. I think it just stay up, just and then they up. build around it. I also uh, ate and consumed cocktails at Jaguar Sun 
And that place is incredible. The Cocktails. Parker House rolls with the beef tallow there are Doesn't like... do the beef tallow anymore. Oh, no? What does no, it do? Just butter, but honey butter. They're delicious. Um, we had three pastas, do your toast, cocktails. I mean, everything was incredible. It was, like, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I've really gained an affinity for Jeremiah's Italian Ice. I don't know if anyone knows about that place, but it's on, like, US 1 and... Um, it's like 80, 80 something. I don't know. It's, it's like a like, different planet for me. I know. It's like really randomly in like a shopping center. It doesn't make any sense. It's just mm-hmm. a window and it's a chain. And I never thought I would like it, but I fucking love it. I love it. I think I've been like three, three times in the last month, which I do nothing that often. Right. So, um, there's that. And I just went to go watch Spider-Man and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Which Spider-Man? The new one in theaters. I didn't even know there was a new Spider-Man. Thing. Yeah, well, now you know. <laughs> now you know. Cool. There it is. Was it good? It was awesome. Is, awesome. It, is it the animated one? or No, no. Yeah. That's the one that's, uh, I think, that's on uh, Netflix. This one was like, uh, it was good. I don't remember. Okay. I don't even remember so the, the one name. Where he, goes, he goes on a trip? Yes, it's yeah. that one. Homecoming, I think. Yeah, no. No? No. Isn't he away and then he's got to come I home? I don't know. But... I do know that I went in with terrible expectations, and I walked out, and I thought it was fucking great. And we watched it at that new movie theater in downtown Silver Spot Cinema. Okay. Man, it's like the fucking, it's like the Lamborghini of, like, all movie theaters. It's like the chair. Peter, you all right? It's okay. We're almost done, huh? Yeah. Massive chair with, like, service and everything. Press a button. Get a waiter. You get to order flatbreads and popcorn. It's incredible. The tickets cost like $35. But on Tuesdays, they're 10 mm. bucks. Stop. Yes. I'm off tomorrow. I'm watching you, you could always I'm depend. I'm watching Spider-Man tomorrow. You could depend <laughs> on my household to find the deal. And that's what we did. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so else? do you have a thing you want to recommend? Somebody you want to show? Like, hey, go. Chugs, bacon, go this, whatever. Go. Oh, my God. So I eat. I actually <laughs> yeah. eat Chugs bacon sandwiches all the time, like once a what week. What does that even mean? It's so I order yeah. a side she of bacon. Created herself. I made it okay. myself. Okay. It's not okay. like a di- it's not like a thing. I made it myself. It's totally off menu. Completely. Yeah. So I get a side of bacon and a side of toast, and um, I make a sandwich out of it. Split it open, stick some bacon in it, destroy it. Um, it looks like shit in my hand. I send it to Mike. He freaks out. But <laughs> that did happen one time. She sent me a photo that I, I sent like, him a photo sent, of my bacon, I sent... and I feel so bad because then like the chef came out and she tried to take the plate out of my hand. <laughs> She literally, she's like, my, Chef Mike told me that you can't eat that bacon. You must give it to me now. And I said, no. Oh, <laughs> I said, no. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not giving you my bacon. You certain can, type of crazy. You can give me anything you want to go, but I'm not giving you my bacon. I want to be I don't the care what influencer who just does ridiculous shit like that and posts it from restaurants, right? Yeah. Like, But you know what? I am one of those people that like if... I see a plate out yeah. of the kitchen and I see there's something not right about it and it's supposed to go to a table. I go up to that and if it, if it lands by accident, right. I go to that guest and I say, I'm really sorry. Is there any way I can get this out of your way? Because I would like to make you a fresh one. This did not yeah. come out the way it was supposed to. I but hate- in your case, if that had happened, you would no, that's what it's supposed to be. Well, like Kinda it was too of. late. There was only there's so yeah. much there's so much a per, so much bacon a person can eat. Right. You know, like Chuck's bacon isn't exactly like a strip of bacon. It's more <laughs> like a hunk. Yeah. Right. Slab. So there's Slab you know bacon. you're like two bites in you're you're already full. So yeah, yeah. um, 
if a guest were to tell me, no, I'm sorry, like I'm not going to give this to you, then I would make an executive decision okay. and do something else. Um, but uh, but yeah, I eat Chugs bacon sandwiches regularly. Cool. Shameless plug. Um, yep. I also listen to lots of podcasts. So I love podcasts. I well, other than Pancom Podcast. Yeah, that's right. your number one. Um, I know so we know that's number that's one on your rotation, one. but whatever. What's number two? Um, I listen to Rachel Hollis. She's female um, life coach, business coach, um, entrepreneur. She's kind of like the female version of like Tony Robbins. Cool. Super cool. Um, and it's she's a chick, so you get really great vibes, and you don't um, you just feel good stuff. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then obviously work out a lot. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's good. A- Annie and uh, Caesar were big motivators for me a year and a half ago when I started training religiously. Nice. And then we trained together a couple times. Okay. He's... And then we trained back uh, my gym. And it was like, yeah, I know Jacob He's wants to. He's yeah. gonna get back to this, and we're we need to do this industry boxing boot camp thing again. That's fine. Must. It's got to be at seven in the morning, though. Get out of here! Come on, the... I'm an early morning guy. I I know. You guys give but me a lot of grief. Get, I don't get to sleep till like one or two in the morning. How am I supposed to box at seven? Not sleep much that day. <laughs> no, I don't go That's to sleep the deal. either. That's the deal. That's the deal. You just got to, you know, it's no, a couple just I one day sleep. a week. I day. need sleep. All right. So you can do your shameless. I'll, I'll do the recommendation, which is also a bit of yeah, a shameless go, plug. Give me, your, uh, give me your recommendation. So the recommendation day. is sort of tied to another uh, ARC hospitality plug. You guys oh. recently added a cigar menu at Ariette. We did. So my shameless plug. You're training my staff. That's right. Tomorrow I'm coming in. This is the first time I've ever done that. I've and never. Bro. Yeah. That's nice. So like that. two of the cigars, two of the six, six cigars? Uh, six or seven. Nine, but go on. Two of the however many, at yeah. least, are made by Aganorsa. Aganorsa, yeah. And there are two, count them, one, two interviews with Eduardo Fernandez, who uh-huh. founded Aganorsa. Do you know anything about this guy? No. So, uh, but I'm going to listen to the podcast so I can learn more. So you should get on cigarsnobmag.com slash podcast. There's on one that we did recently in July uh, at the trade show, but the older one I think is better. And I think it's cool, like kind of like what people listening to this might feel more engaged in eating at Fukia after having heard this interview with Annie. Yep. In this case, I like knowing who made the thing. And there's a, a food industry connection. Oh. So Eduardo Fernandez... Uh, only started this company relatively recently uh, after he made his millions nice. selling telepizza. So he basically introduced pizza delivery to Europe with his brother. That's amazing. Guy from Havana, grew up here, went to Wharton, and then he was like, hey, nobody's uh, delivering pizzas in Spain. It's weird. And now they're That's everywhere. Crazy. Like they, they beat all the Americans to the market, and telepizza is all over the place. And then when they sold, he was like, I've never been a farmer. I'm going to go jack a bunch of Cubans from the Cuban government. Perfect. Thank take you. them to Nicaragua <laughs> and make the best cigars. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're the best. They are among my favorites. They're your favorite. No, they're, well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, even, I'm not even going to say that they're my favorites. I like this. Uh, but they are on your menu in part because I said you should have them. They are 100% on there because you recommend them. Uh, so, yeah. So, very cool story. And he, especially if you're interested in, like, the business, uh, especially on a really large scale of food and agriculture, this guy who went into both things without having any kind of background on either one, is a brilliant, brilliant guy to listen to. Great. So, anyway, that's my thing. Uh, 
You go ahead and plug your stuff. Yeah. Um, Pig Inc., that's my personal Instagram. Ariette Miami, Chug's Diner, Nave Miami. When's that opening? Sometime this year. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> that could mean anything. Right now, right now, we're, we're shooting for mid-October. Okay. Cool. So I think I feel comfortable saying that out mm-hmm. loud, which I don't usually, mm-hmm. but... We have sorry, a Larry. That we have a restaurant? Yeah, sorry, Larry. Sorry, Larry. Heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> By the way, I'm going to plug myself for Larry, because Larry and I have been playing email tag for like six months about smoking a cigar together, and it has not oh, happened yet. So Larry, I love it. I'll love to smoke a cigar with you. I'll do it right now. <laughs> I've never heard his voice, but now when I do it, it sounds even remotely like that. I'm going to laugh in his face. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, he drinks all the Palmer's in Long Island. I call him Long Island Long Larry. Island Larry. <laughs> <laughs> He's bringing the Long Island back single-handedly. Uh, he, he, he is. Blue Long Islands, too. Oh, my God. Blue. I drank so many of those. <laughs> we all didn't when we were younger. So uh, so final plugs. Uh, you can find the podcast at dadmag.com slash podcast on all the social media things at Podcast, And you can find Petey the Dog on Instagram at Petey the Dog. That's P-E-A-T-Y like a Petey Scotch. The Dog. That's it. We're done. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.